Hey, church, I know that we're not in the same room. I know that we're not in the, even perhaps in the same district right now, uh, but I feel such a strong connection with us together as the Spirit is here moving powerfully amongst us and uh, so grateful for our worship team and for all they do, our production uh, team that do everything behind the scenes to be able to put this on. You're being able to be ministered by the Holy Spirit right now through all this technology because we have men and women that have volunteered and are serving hard here at the Vine and uh, I'm just super grateful for them. I'm grateful for you and uh, I'm grateful for what we're about to do. Uh, we're going to continue our series in dreaming again and today we're looking at the topic of victory in battle. Victory in battle. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure if you're anything like me, uh, you've been going through some battles. Uh, we've all been facing crazy battles in the last three years, but I wonder whether we really know what it is that we need to be equipped for in the battles we face. And today I want to give you some tools, uh, some tips, some practical theology for you to be able to handle whatever battles that you might be facing right now. A few years ago, uh, I was able to actually live out one of my long-held dreams. For about 10 years, I had this dream in my heart that I wanted to dive deeper into the realities of social injustices in the world around us. I had a passion from God for a theology of justice, to understand what it was on God's heart, to see justice come in this world, to see heaven come to earth. And, and I, I was passionate about looking into a, a variety of social justice issues. And the one that kind of drew me in deepest was the issue of human trafficking. And this is a work that we do here at The Vine through our stop ministry as part of Branches of Hope. And it was something that was really a burden on my heart for, for many years. And I had this dream. And the dream was this. I was praying to God and I was saying, God, I would love the opportunity to travel around Asia and witness for myself the realities of, of human trafficking, the realities of that issue and the injustice of that issue, and to see how you, God, are at work amongst various NGOs and different people uh, to bring freedom and liberation for those that are trapped in slavery. And this was my dream. And just a few years ago, uh, my dream came into reality. An NGO uh, reached out to me uh, based in Thailand. And they say, hey, we'd love to fly you into Bangkok. And we'd love to spend a week with you and show you the work that we do. And I was super excited about this. This was an NGO that focused on the realities of slavery and human trafficking. And so I flew into Bangkok and I got to spend a week with them. And the first couple of days, uh, it was basically spent in classrooms, various different classrooms, listening to women who had been liberated from the sex slave uh, trade in Bangkok. And um, I, I mean, I'll never forget sitting in those classrooms, listening to these stories, you know, listening to the horrendous horrors uh, that had been brought against these women. Uh, a lot of them trafficked from villages on the uh, kind of outskirts uh, of Thailand, uh, trafficked into Bangkok to work in sexual slavery. Uh, and uh, yeah, the stories were just overwhelming. But also in those stories, came this incredible idea, this incredible testimony of God's goodness, the way that God worked in these women's lives, the way that God saved them, redeemed them, restored them, how many of them were still going through a process of healing, but God was at work in that process. And I remember sitting in that classroom thinking, this is exactly why I want to lean into these justice issues. This is why I kind of burn with a passion for this. I want to see God come and do all this great victory in people's lives. 
Well, after a couple of days of being in the classroom, listening to these women, we then had an opportunity to actually go into the field, if you were, uh, if you will, as itself, the field in Bangkok. And so we were going to spend a day, actually, in a particular street, which I'm not going to name, but a particular street in Bangkok that is famous for lots of bars and for the fact that there is all these sexual acts that happen inside those bars. And we were going to, uh, in pairs, uh, walk up and down this street for a couple of hours. It was only probably about 500 meters or long or so. Uh, And we were going to walk up and down and pray and do some spiritual warfare uh, as we're in the very place where, according to the NGO, about a thousand women in that moment were being used for sex, were being purchased for sex. Now, the street itself was um, perhaps not how you think it might look. Um, the street itself seemed very innocent. It was filled with bars. There was lots of pop music and music blaring. Um, there were lots of people standing around. There were waiters and waitresses who looked very normal, who had a little menu in their hands. It almost felt like there was a, a bunch of sports bars up this street. And to be honest with you, it felt a little bit like a cross between Lang Kwai Fung and Las Vegas, kind of brought together. Lots of glitz, lots of sound. Uh, it felt perfectly normal in some ways. It didn't seem very strange at all. And as we were beginning to walk up this street, and as I began to reflect on the realities of what was happening beyond the facade, I was overcome immediately with a spiritual oppression that I had never felt before. I, I suddenly felt this blackness on me. Uh, it was like a, uh, a weight upon my spirit. There was a darkness that suddenly shrouded around me. I had never experienced a sense of evil in all of my years of pastoring and all of the, the time that I'd been working in the church and, and doing things that I do. This was the first time I had felt the presence of evil to such a degree as this. It was completely overwhelming. It was like that heavy blackness, a pressure on my chest. It almost felt like I was having like a, a heart attack as I was walking up this street. I could feel the enemy and I could feel demonic forces all around me as I was walking. And if I'm honest with you, I was completely petrified. I was completely overwhelmed. I realized in that moment, I was actually totally out of my depth. It was funny, just a few days ago, sitting in that classroom, I felt like I was that social justice warrior who was going to do all this great stuff for God. And now that I was standing in the place of evil itself, I was overwhelmed by how insignificant I was, how powerless I felt in comparison to the demonic forces that were around. And I I quickly realized something, that I had started this dream with this feeling of like, if God is for me, who can be against me? I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And that immediately became, I am out of my depth. I am ill-prepared and, you know, not ready for the realities of the battle that I needed to face. And, And this was the thing. You see, I thought because the dream had come from God, that therefore everything was going to be okay. Everything was going to be kind of easy. Everything would kind of work out. If God's for it, of course, it's going to work out. I hadn't realized that actually because the dream was from God, I was going to have to face some battles in relation to that dream. I didn't realize that that dream was going to actually lead me to a place of abject evil, and I was going to have to face a battle simply because God had given me a dream. If you're a Christian watching this right now, and if God has given you 
a dream. You need to know that at some point, you're going to have to face a battle because of that dream. There is no version of being a Christian that is worthy of carrying the name Jesus that doesn't at some point have to then face the realities of the spiritual evenness and darkness that there is in this world. There is no version of Christianity. If you really want to take your faith seriously, that's not going to at some point lead you into battle with demonic forces. The enemy doesn't give much at all to the Christian who's a Christian by name and not by action. But if you seriously want to take up the battle, to take up the courage to actually walk out the kingdom of God on earth, if you're saying, I want to partner with God to see his heaven come to earth, I want to partner with God in in doing something that pushes back the spiritual dynamics in this world, if you're saying that your dream that God has given you is something of God's kingdom, that dream will lead you into some battles. You know, here's the reality, you see. Our dreams specifically are all about building God's kingdom. That's why God gives you dreams. And you know, we would be remiss here at The Vine if we were to start a series in January on it's time to dream again and tell you all to start dreaming if we didn't prepare you, equip you for the reality of what those dreams are going to bring you into. Because God's dreams are about the building of his kingdom. And God's kingdom is always going to be opposed. Now, now we know this. We know that Christ himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know ultimately in the death and resurrection of Jesus that Christ has the victory. We don't walk into a place of abject fear and terror because we know ultimately God has the victory. Absolutely. But here's the reality. The reality is the dreams that God puts in our hearts, puts in our lives, will lead us into a place where we're going to come up against some of those spiritual forces that are opposing the work of God's kingdom. And although we have victory, we have to be equipped to face those battles. If we're not equipped to face them, we're going to find ourselves very quickly struggling to overcome that. And what you need to understand is this. Some of the seasons that are the darkest and most evil sensing in our lives are actually the seasons where what is coming is the greatest fruit for the kingdom of God. You need to hear this, church. Some of the seasons where we feel most oppressed, the seasons where we feel like what we're trying to do doesn't seem to be going anywhere, the seasons where it feels like the enemy is attacking us and against us, the reason he's doing that is because he knows the fruit that is going to come if we persevere through those battles, the fruit that is going to come. Because you see, the enemy is not bothered where there's no fruit. But where the fruit is, then we have to accept the reality that the enemy will also be there. But I want to encourage you with this. God is on our side. And today I want to open up this message to help you to understand both the battle you're going to face, yes, but also the God who is fighting that battle for you. Some of you watching this right now, you're in a spiritual battle and you know it. Perhaps you feel a little bit like me on that street in Bangkok. You can sense the heaviness of spiritual oppression around you, darkness that is around you. If that's how you're feeling today, I want to start by giving you both an encouragement and a warning. Let me start with the warning. God only wants you to fight the battles that his dreams lead you into. Some of you right now, you're feeling overwhelmed and you're stressed. You're feeling a darkness around you because you're actually fighting a battle that God did not call you to fight. 
You're fighting a battle that his dreams did not lead you into. You see, there's always going to be a grace to fight the battles that the dreams God has given you leads you into. But the reality is so often we end up fighting somebody else's battle fighting somebody else's battle for their dream that God hasn't actually graced us or equipped us to fight. The first thing we need to do is actually discern whether the battle that we're in is in relation to our dreams. Because if it is, doesn't mean it will be easy, but if it is, and here's the encouragement, if it is, then we know that God will be fighting that battle with us. We know that God will be equipping us in that battle. We know that that battle, even though it'll have its challenges, even though there may be some pain associated with it, even though there may be fear and anxiety, and we may feel the pressure of that battle, we know that God wins that war. We know that he is the victor. So you need to discern the battle. Some of you are fighting battles that you should not be fighting right now, and you're wondering why you're overwhelmed. May you be encouraged. That if the battle is in relation to the dream, then God will equip you for the battle you're going to face. Let me also say this, and this is really important. While it is true that God's dreams will always lead us into spiritual battles, not every difficulty we face in life is the result of something the enemy is doing. You have to be really careful not to look for a devil under every difficulty. I want to say this straight up to us. Some of you watching this right now, you're fighting a battle and you think that that battle is actually the result of some enemy strategy. But here's the reality. That battle is simply there because you've made some poor life choices. There's no devil under that difficulty. Sometimes we actually end up blaming the devil for our own lack of maturity. Some of you are struggling right now and you're struggling simply because you're making poor life choices. And it's easy at that time to blame some some enemy and some spiritual strategy against you when the reality is you just need to mature a little bit. You need to start making some better life choices. You need to start being obedient to the things that God's calling you to be in. Don't blame the devil for your lack of maturity. Sometimes the only victory you actually need is to take responsibility for the actions and behavior that you're doing rather than think you're a victim under some enemy strategies. That's the truth, church. And I want to encourage you to take ownership for the reality of your actions in your life. That's not what we're talking about today. What I'm talking about today is the battles that come because of the dreams God has given us. Not the battles that come because we make poor choices or we're in sin. The battles that come because of the dreams. Are you with me, church? Are you still following this? I want to take us into a passage of Scripture that I believe is going to open up some important questions for us. What do these battles look like? Why do we have to fight these battles? And more importantly, what are the weapons in which we are going to be able to fight those battles? That's what I want to lead us into. And I'm going to do it by reading a passage from the Old Testament, from the book of Judges. And it's a passage where Gideon has to take the Israelite army and fight a battle against the Midianites. Now, at this time in Israel's history, this is before they became a monarchy. At this time, they're a confederacy of 12 tribes. And Gideon has been raised up as the judge, the leader over the 12 tribes of Israel. And in this moment, God is calling him to lead Israel into battle. Now, this battle was not something that Gideon was expecting. This battle was very overwhelming for him, but it was a battle in the result of the dream that was on Gideon's heart. God had been speaking to Gideon about all the things that were ahead for him and ahead for Israel. And this battle was a direct result from the reality of what God had been saying to Gideon and Israel. I want to show you what happens here. This is Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Is everybody okay? 
Are you connected to this? I hope so. Put down that phone. Take all that distraction away. Remember, poor life choices. Okay, got you. I got you. I got you. All right. Judges 7 verse 1 says this. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon this, You have too many men for me to deliver to Midian to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. All right, I want you to put yourself in Gideon's shoes right here. Israel, they're camped over this valley. And in the valley below them is the Midianite army, the army that God's called them to attack. Now, uh, the scholars, it doesn't say specifically in these verses, but over the next couple of chapters, scholars basically have have worked out that there was probably about 135,000 men in the Midianite army. We know that there was 32,000 in the Israelite army. They are way outnumbered by their enemy. So much so that you can imagine Gideon standing on this mountaintop, looking down on that valley, seeing the mass of the army down there, looking at his army of 32,000, comparing it to an army of 135,000, and you can imagine him being completely overwhelmed. Well, in that moment, the Lord brings not a word of encouragement to him. Listen to this again. He says this. He says, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. Too many? You can imagine Gideon here saying, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean too many? I was thinking the exact opposite of that, actually, God. I was thinking like, I do not have enough men to do this. See, Here's the first point we need to realize. With all of the battles that our dreams lead us into, this is the pure reality. We are not to fight God's battles with man's strategies and weapons. If we do that, we will come up short every single time. Here's Gideon going, I do not have enough men. I, I, in my strategy, in my way of thinking, this cannot work. God shows up and says, you got too many. You've got too many because I'm about to do something in you that's going to change everything for you. In fact, he says it here in the passage. He says, you have too many because if you go and fight them now with the size of your army as it is, and if you get victory, you're immediately going to think it's because of your own resource, because it's of your own strength, because you're so great. He's like, I don't want any pride to get into your camp. And here's the second thing that we need to know about dreams and battles. It's this, that the battles God leads you in are not for your glory, they're for His. The reason why God leads you in a battle is so that He can show you His power and His glory. And He basically says to Gideon, if you go now with the army the way it is, man, you're going to think that you won that battle for yourself. That's not the way it works. I'm actually going to strip down your army to its bare bones so you could never boast that this is in your resources, this is in your strength, and you'll only be able to go, God did it amongst us. So God decides to strip down the army. How does he do it? Well, he actually takes a a buried law that was actually in the law of Deuteronomy and he brings it out. He says to Gideon, say this to your army. If anyone is fearful, they can leave. There was actually a thing in the law where they could do that. I think that's the most ridiculous law that there is in Deuteronomy. But anyway, can you imagine how frustrating that would have been for Gideon? I can't believe that law is there. But that law was there and that could happen. And so Gideon goes to the army and he says, "Uh, if any of you are afraid of the 135,000 Midianites down there that are way outnumbering us, you can go home. 
22,000 of them went home out of 32,000. Only 10,000 left. And Gideon feels this way. Here's how Gideon feels. He feels that fear has crippled his army. But God did not see it that way. God saw it completely opposite. God did not see that fear had crippled the army. God had seen that he had purged fear from his army. Come on, church. He had purged fear from them. That 22,000 were left, but 10,000 men remained who were declaring, I'm not afraid, who were declaring, I can, I can do this. 10,000 of them remained. And I, and I think this is amazing that God would see it completely opposite to how we would see it. If I was Gideon, I'd be like, my resources are depleted, God. And God says, I've stripped away the resources that would have taken you to defeat. And I've only left in you the resources that I want you to have. Here's the reality. When fear, when we sense fear, we are always more likely to turn to our resources more than to our God. That's the reality. When we feel this fear, we turn towards our resources more than we are to our God. And God wants to say, no, I'm going to strip this away for you. God's basically saying less in this instance is more. Oh, we don't like this church. <laughs> we do not like this in the modern church, particularly not the modern charismatic church like the vine. No, no, we think more is more. We think bigger numbers are better. We think if a ministry has more people, it's more blessed. We think if a church has more services, that church must be more blessed. We think if a church has more money in its bank accounts, it's a proof of God's blessing. God's economy doesn't always work that way. And here God basically says this, no, if your resources become your God, I will Strip those resources away from you. Why? Because I want you in a place of dependency and need on me. Why? Because the dreams I've given you will bring you into battles that will reveal my power and my glory, not your great resources and your strength. You see, this is so important. God does not need our great resources for his great victories. Come on, church. He doesn't need our great bank accounts, our great skill sets, our great abilities for his great victories. He's about to strip away the resources from Gideon. In fact, he doesn't just stop at 10,000. We haven't got time to look at it today, but he takes them to this water and they do this funky thing with the water. And out of that, he takes another 9,700 away and leaves them only with 300 people. 300 people left out of a, an army of 32,000. I mean, he is stripping this down. Why? Because he does not want pride and resources to be the things that gain the victory. We have to understand it. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. If our victories give us a sense of our own self-reliance and our own pride in our resources or in our abilities, then our victories are actually more dangerous to us than our defeats. Come on, church. Our victories become more dangerous to us than actually our defeats. Because if we think those victories are because we've done some great stuff, because we've got some great resources, because we've got some great ability, then we're going to find pride in ourselves. And God diminishes when pride increases. God strips away the resources from Gideon to basically put him in a place where he's desperately in need. And trust me, the poor boy is. I know some of you watching this right now your big prayer right now is, God, give me the resources because I'm so overwhelmed. When perhaps what God's word to you in this season is this, you have all the resource you need, me. It's the only thing you need to get through the battle that's ahead. I want to show you what takes place next for Gideon. You guys enjoying this? Are you getting this? Are you tracking with this? I hope so. Let me continue here in verse 9. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon this, 
Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. This is so cool. God has already stripped fear out of the army, but he hasn't stripped fear yet out of Gideon. See, Gideon didn't have the option to flee away. I think if Gideon had, he would have been like, great, see you later. You know, I think, I think Gideon would have been home already with the 22,000. He didn't have that option as the leader, and God understood that. You see, God didn't worry about Gideon's fear. He knew Gideon was still carrying that fear. So he comes to him and he says, look, if you're still feeling fear, I get it. See, this is the beautiful thing. God is merciful and tender-hearted here towards Gideon. He doesn't tell him off for his fear. He doesn't slap him around and say, come on, just, just be brave. You know, you know, you shouldn't have fear. Fear's a sin. He doesn't do that at all. He says, look, if you're still feeling fear, I get it. Just trust me. Come with me now. Take one of your servants. Go down to the camp. Open your ears because I'm about to encourage you in such a way that you will know that you have the victory. See, some of you just need to realize that you're in a battle right now, but actually the tenderheartedness of God is towards you. I was filled with fear on that street in Bangkok. So much fear that I wanted to flee in the other direction. God's tenderness is always there for us in the battles that we face. And if you need that, ask for that today. So what is it that happens when Gideon goes down to the army? Let's pick this up again in verse 13. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. Here we go. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon's son of jo Josiah, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hand. It's amazing how God orchestrates this. At the very moment that this person who had received a dream from God that the Midianites would be defeated, shares that dream with his buddy. And as his, dream, as his buddy interprets that dream, Gideon just happens to be standing nearby. And Gideon hears this and immediately understands what God is doing. You see, the barley loaf here in the dream is important. Barley loaves were loaves that were only ever eaten by the poor. In fact, Midianites would have used barley loaves to feed the dogs and the animals of the camp. Never would they have given that to the people. The people would eat of a different type of bread, a higher quality bread. And in this dream, they see a barley loaf, the very thing that they despised and would give to the animals. They see that roll down and flatten one of their tents. They understand, or sorry, at least Gideon understands with this idea of the barley loaf, that what God is saying is this, the things that are the weakest, the things that are despised, the things that are thrown away to the dogs, I can use those things to bring my victory. The weak things, the things that we reject, the things that we don't think have strength, the things that we don't think could ever do anything. It's the barley loaves of the kingdom of God that actually sees God's victory. It's when we are weak that we are actually strong. It's when we actually don't have those abilities, don't have the strength, that God actually comes through. The barley loaves of God's kingdom are the things that bring the victory. And so this was so encouraging, I think, for Gideon. So encouraging, in fact, that look what he says in verse 15. When Gideon heard this dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and he called this out. Listen, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. I love this. Gideon has gone from a place of fear. Remember, the Lord said to him, if you're feeling fear, go down to the camp. 
He went down to the camp, so he was feeling fear. He's gone from a place of fear to a place of worship in a moment. Why? Because he knows through this dream that God has given him the victory. So much so that he goes back to the camp, he wakes everybody up, and he says, and he declares prophetically before them, God has given this army into our hands. There may be only 300 of us. We were 32,000, but God has given it to us in his hands. I love this. That Gideon would realize that as soon as he had an understanding of the victory, he went into worship. Before he did anything, before they fought any battle, before they went down to the battlefield, before they did anything that happens next, he started in that place of worship. He knew that the proclamation of victory before God was the essential first thing before he picked up any weapon. You need to know this if you're watching this right now, that your primary posture is that of a worshiper. In spiritual warfare, your primary posture is not of an army or a soldier in battle. Your primary posture is to be a worshiper. Your focus is to be on God. And he turns to God and he worships him. And he says, I give you all the glory for the victory that's about to happen. Because he knows that God is at work. When we turn to God in worship first, then we find ourselves in the right place for the battle that is ahead. Some of you, that's just a simple word in season for you. Worship is the starting point. As we proclaim this beauty of who God is, we find ourselves in that place. We know in Christ Jesus, through his death and resurrection, that we have the victory. And we declare in worship that victory right now. I want to encourage you with this. Do not wait until things turn out positively in your life to give God glory. Come on, church, do not wait until things turn out positively in your life to give God glory. Don't wait until the sea has parted and you're standing on on dry ground to declare that God can part the sea. You know, you know, don't, don't get all the resources together before you're willing to stand before God and say, here I am, send me. God is looking for a people who will shout before the first brick falls. He's looking for a people who know that the victory is theirs before they even stand up to face the battle. That is the cry of God on his people. Barley loaves, just like you and I, weak, despised, overwhelmed, not good. As we turn to worship him, we find ourselves equipped for the battle ahead. Are you guys still with this? Everyone's still tracking with this? You can't tell me you are, but I'm going to keep asking you just to kind of shake you up a bit. All right? All right. Now, the question is, how do they do this battle? I mean, 300 men, 135,000, 450 to 1 odds. Let me show you this from verse 16. Dividing the 300 men into three companies of 100 each, he placed the trumpets, he placed trumpets and empty jars in their hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he said to them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets, broke or smashed their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 
While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the Midianite camp to turn on each other with their swords. I love this. So here's the 300. Here's Gideon equipping them. And this is where we see that God's battles are won, not by man's strategies or man's efforts, but by God's. He never once in this narrative gives them any weapon that we would have chosen. No swords, no chariots, no horses, nothing like that. Instead, in fact, actually what God does is leads Gideon to give three things only in their hands. First of all, a trumpet, then a clay pot, and then a torch. And the torch itself was hidden under the clay pot. So there is basically a trumpet in one hand, a torch with this clay pot over it in the other. And here's the crazy instructions. When I say go, blow the horns, smash that clay pot, hold out the lamp, uh, and, and, and scream on the top of your head. And that's exactly what they did. And we see in the passage here that the Midianites are so confused, so overwhelmed by fear that they start to attack each other, that there's such chaos in the darkness by the sound that they're hearing and the torches that they're seeing surrounding them that they think the 300 people are 300,000 people. And they start to panic and they're attacking everybody running around the camp. Oh, that must be somebody from the Israelites. That must be somebody from the Israelites. And they start killing each other. The Israelites don't even move. Never pick up a sword, never grab a chariot, never cut anyone down. They literally just stand there and let the Midianites kill themselves. You need to know that the battles that you are going to face are not battles that you fight. They're battles that God will fight for you. But there's still a position you are to take. And I want to talk about, and this is the question, right? What are the weapons that God is going to give us to enable us to face every battle that's going to come across us as we live out our dreams? What are those weapons? Well, they're the three things. The first weapon is the trumpet. The trumpet that is used to blast the sound. Your trumpet is your worship. We've already talked a little bit about this, but I want to just emphasize this again. The first thing we do is we worship. I remember as I was walking down that street in Bangkok, as I was feeling that oppression, as the fear rose up inside of me and I wanted to run in the other direction, I began to pray in tongues. That's a spiritual gift that God's given me. Um, maybe that's one that's been given to you. Maybe it's not. But for me, that was a gift that I could use in that moment. I started to pray in tongues. Why? Because I realized I was insignificant. I realized that I was way out of my depth. I realized that I was overwhelmed by the demonic forces that were around me. And I realized that if I focused on the enemy, fear would increase. You need to hear this, church. See, what the enemy wants you to do in a battle is focus on him. He wants you to turn your eyes and to look at him so that your fear would increase. As I began to pray in tongues on that street, I began to feel a peace come upon me. Why? Because I wasn't focused on the demonic forces around me all of a sudden. I was focused on God. This is why the psalmist would write, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It comes from Zion, the maker of heaven and earth. If you're in a spiritual battle right now, the worst thing you can do is focus on the spiritual battle you're in. The best thing you can do is turn your eyes up and focus on God. You keep your eyes on him. Guess what? The enemy will not overwhelm you with fear. When you focus on him, perfect love casts out fear. I want to encourage you, church, you start by blowing the trumpet, blowing your worship before him. 
exclaiming your need for him, his glory, his wonder, his might, and he will come and fight the battles for you. The second thing that you need is to smash your clay pot, to smash your clay pot. This is to deal with your self-reliance and pride. We've been seeing this as a theme throughout the message today, and it's something I want to emphasize once more again. The light that they had was under these clay pots, and Gideon said, smash those clay pots so the light can be shown. I want you to know that many of us, myself included, we hide the light of Christ under the clay pots of our self-reliance and pride. The things that we think we can do, the the things that we think about, the great strength that we think is in us, the fact that we think that we are the best people in the world to go and fight the battles of God, that pride and that thing, that self-reliance is a clay pot that actually covers up. It hides the light of Christ in us. When, When we think we're great, the light of Christ dims. When we realize that it's God that's great and not us, we allow that light to shine. Church, some of us need to smash the clay pots that are hiding the light of Christ in our lives. In fact, um, Paul, writing years later, would actually say something very similar. In, in 2 Corinthians 4, writing to the church, trying to challenge them in the dreams that they had, he says this from verse 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he made this light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this light, this treasure in jars of clay to show us that the all-surpassing power is not from us, but is from God. Oh, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Oh no, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed through our bodies. Paul is saying to the church, we're fragile. We're little jars of clay and in our brokenness, as we realize that we're not strong, that we haven't got it all together, but in our brokenness, the power of God, the glory of God, the light of God can be shown in the world. His light shining forth out of our brokenness. The best thing we can do to fight the spiritual battles that we're in is to deal with the things that hide the light of Christ in our lives. Deal with our pride. Deal with our self-reliance. Come before the Lord. Ask him to show us if that is affecting the battle we're in. Some of you just are needing or thinking you need more resources. Some of you are doubling down in your gifts and your strength, thinking that that will get you through it, when actually you need to realize that it is your brokenness, the smashed jar of clay, the fragility of the human life that enables the power of Christ to be seen. For when we are weak, he then is strong. On our behalf. As I was walking down that street in Bangkok, as I was so overwhelmed, I remember at the start of the walk thinking this. I remember judging all of the men that I could see going into those bars, men that I knew were going in there to pay for sex. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm a Christian. I would never do anything like that. By the time I got about halfway down that road, the spiritual oppression was so heavy that I realized that I was just one or two decisions away from ending up entering into one of those bars and purchasing sex. I realized that as a fragile male man, that I was also seduced by temptation, that I could very easily, 
easily make the same mistakes that the people are, that I wasn't better. I wasn't more perfect. I wasn't anything else. I realized that I was broken and it was my pride that would come before a fool. It would be my pride that would end up leading me into a place of seduction if I wasn't careful. And I had to come before the Lord and smash that clay pot. I had to come before the Lord and say, God, I am so sorry because I realize I'm just as weak as these men walking into that room right now. And the only thing that's stopping me from doing that is your grace. It's your love. It's the light that you have given me. I'm not perfect or better than them. I just have you. And some of you just need to realize that that's your scenario right now. You need to come before the Lord again. Give him your life and your heart and say, God, I, I only have you. And I realize I'm just a decision or two away from doing something that I would regret for a lifetime. Father, would you come with your grace? The third and final thing as we go back to that passage in Judges chapter 7 is, of course, the light that then comes. As they smash that clay pot and they put that light up, that is the light of Christ that is in you. The one thing that shines in the darkness is not again us. It is Christ's light in and through us. Our testimony, our gospel that sits within us, the beauty and the wonder of our own salvation and the restoration of our own lives, of the hope that we carry in Christ Jesus and the message that we have that brings that hope into the world. Those are the things that shines God's light. We're not to shine the light of the vine, church. We're not to shine the light uh, even of of our, our, our Christianity. We're to shine the light of Jesus and Jesus alone. It's his beauty, his wonder, his power, his majesty that shines in the darkness. And I want you to know this. The enemy is thrown into confusion through the light of Christ. The enemy is shown for who he truly is, not in our light, but in the light of Jesus. We have an amazing God that fights on our behalf. So are you facing some battles right now? Uh, your dreams will bring you into those battles. Are uh, you facing some spiritual oppression in your life? Blow your trumpet, smash your pots, and hold out your lights, the light that sits in you with Jesus. And you don't even need to pick up a weapon of war. You don't even need to get into that battlefield. God will fight the battle for you as you take up your position on the edge of that battlefield, not running away, not like the 22,000, not even like those 10,000, but the 300 who have just equipped with those weapons of warfare that God has given them. I want to encourage you as I close with one final passage. It's from 2 Chronicles, and God is speaking here uh, to the army of Israelite as they're facing another battle that's through them. Let me read this over us. And I believe that this passage alone is why some of you have tuned in today. This passage right here alone is why some of you need to watch this and perhaps watch it again. Listen to this as we read from verse 17. You will not have to fight this battle. Come on, church. Let me say that again one more time. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Get out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. You will not have to fight this battle. That's a word in season for some of you. What the Lord does say, though, is this. Take up your position. 
Take up your position. Stand there. Go out there tomorrow and face the battle you're in, but not in your strength, not with your weapons, not with man's strategies, not with all the resources that you think you need, but simply with the trumpet of worship that declares God is good, simply with the smashing of our sin and the clay pots that hide the light of Christ and holding forth that light as we take up our positions with courage, God fights the battle. And I want you to know that that's what we're doing here at The Vine in many ways. I want to just thank the men and women that work in Branches of Hope and with Stop. We have this incredible organization here at The Vine that is on the front lines of fighting back human trafficking here in Hong Kong. And they do so every week. And it's a discouraging work. It's a hard work. There are battles they're facing. But they've taken up their positions with courage. You yourself are being called by God in this hour to take up the positions. Remember, the position that his dreams have led you into. Not the positions of somebody else's dreams, but the ones that God has brought you to. In that place, God will fight the battle for you. Take courage, my church. Fight with weapons that are not man's weapons, but with the weapons that have been put in you through the power and the anointing of Christ Jesus. I want to pray for every single one of us where this is important to you today, where you're resonating with this. Let me pray a word of encouragement over you. Father, we just are so grateful as we take this moment across the homes of Hong Kong and around the world, as we think about the spiritual battles that are right now here before us. Lord, we take up our trumpets. Father, I want to pray that worship would be released in homes right in this moment. Father, I pray that prayer and worship is the sound that brings the enemy into confusion. I want to pray for a releasing of worship in every home right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. I want to pray for the smashing of clay pots. Lord, we bring you our sin. We bring you our pride. We bring the things that cover your light in our lives. Lord, we smash them in the name of Jesus right now. Lord, would you give us your spirit again to stand against the sin that is in our lives, Lord. Help us to take responsibility for our choices, Lord. Help us to realize, Father, that we are those broken jars of clay, desperately in need of your grace. Would you fill us, Lord, with your grace? And Lord, we pray for your light, your light to shine through every single person watching, your light of of your gospel, of your hope, of your power, of your wisdom, Lord. We hold forth the light of Christ no matter the storm that we might find us in. Lord, we will not hide that light in Hong Kong's hour of need in this time in our city. May we shine forward now with the weapons that you've given us and may we do this for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone says...